power on. The following is a presentation of the Sovereign Tech Podcast feed. Legendary films and TV shows. Or just pure shit. The legendary host, Dr. Brian Sovereign. Sovereign at the movies. Because when they ask you, what's better, Star Trek or Star Wars, the correct answer is Mobile Suit Gundam. Woo, baby. (laughs) I mean, that might be the correct answer, or maybe it's Babylon 5. Um, But that's not what we're here to talk about. Though I will say, opening up this Sovereign at the Movies, of course, the Golden Stanley, the Man of Tomorrow, Savzu, the Rated R Radio star, Dr. Brian Sovereign, here to talk about the entertainment industry. I will say... That seeing, when I'm recording this, seeing um, the trailer for the Cassian Andor show, you know, Star Wars Andor, um, not Endor, <laughs> close, <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, that looked kind of cool. Didn't get a whole lot, but that looked kind of cool. And, of course, very excited um, for the Obi-Wan series. And you better believe that me and my man, Robin Freebeard, will be talking that up. Uh, when that after that premieres on the 28th, because he's in town, baby. <laughs> I don't know. Have I announced that? Has he? We might not. We, we may have on the public feed. See, on the Patreon feed, there's a million things going on on the public feed. I'm not sure if it's been announced that Rob uh, lives in New Hampshire now. Um and I mean, we've been recording stuff right and left uh, on the Patreon feed. Uh, so, of course, if you want to join in on that, go to patreon.com slash Sovereign Tech. Um, but this is Sovereign at the Movies. And again, excited. You know, certainly we'll make that a TIE Fighter Renegades episode when Rob and I get together as we do. Um, but here I am going to talk about something. I had the uh, the honor uh, and actually I do consider it an honor to have finally seen. A movie, a new movie, as in one that came out in 2022, even though it was supposed to come out, what, in like 2020, it was supposed to come out. Um, But a movie in 2022 that wasn't just okay, or like most of them, horrible, but was genuinely great. In fact, cart before the horse, I suppose, but in fact, almost perfect. Like there's only one thing. Well, there's there's kind of a half thing, but then there's really only one thing that holds this movie back 
from True Greatness. Uh, but it is ultimately a great movie. Um, and I am here to talk about Top Gun Maverick, something that, as I've said many times over the past few years, I can't believe I'm talking about. I can't believe I'm talking about a Top Gun 2. Not that I haven't talked about Top Gun in Sovereign Tech's long history. I actually have multiple times. Um, I reviewed the movie. I also, uh, we covered a story, boy, this is probably six years ago, six, seven years ago. Um, we covered a story about the power of the U.S. military over the entertainment industry and really how they can make or break uh, the production of a film. And uh, I clearly recall in that episode um, years ago, you know, making the statement, you know, I, I basically condemned and damned to hell. Uh, well, I guess heaven because I'm in hell. No. <laughs> or that's where I want to go. Anyway, uh, condemned. <laughs> I condemned the U.S. military for uh, for being the reason that we never got a Top Gun 2. Because, again, that was certainly one of the biggest movies. It was just about the biggest movie of 1986. One of the biggest movies um, of the 80s. I mean, by, by a lot, like it was just such a massive hit. Um, and it's not only about ticket sales, but also soundtrack sales because it has one of the greatest soundtracks really of all time, both, uh, not just in, uh, the soundtrack, you know, the score by Harold Faltemeyer, which is phenomenal, but also in, you know, just the music presented, like the songs presented in general, like, you know, Berlin's take my breath away, Kenny Loggins, danger zone, playing with the boys, um, cheap tricks, mighty wings, easily the best song on the soundtrack. Uh, but regardless, yes, the U S military is the reason that up until now we did not have, um, a top gun too, because they felt that the first top gun, uh, over sexualized the, or sexualized, just sexualized, not even over, just sexualized, uh, the U S military. And because of that, they were offended. You know, I'm sure there was quite a good old boy network there at the time. They were offended and they didn't want it to, to make it happen. Now, how did Top Gun 2 finally get made? Well, there's conversations to be had around that, and we may get into some of those. Um, of course, opening this up, I've already told you what I think of this movie. Like I said, it is great. The first Top Gun, I also think, and I mean, I've, I've kind of gone in waves on it, but I overall think it's a great movie. You just, especially as you watch modern, most modern films, you realize just how great we had it in the eighties and nineties. Um, and, and movies that at the time might've gotten, you know, out of 10 might've gotten like a four or a five now are, you know, eights and nines and maybe even tens just because compared to 99% of the films that get made today, they're masterpieces, even though in the eighties, you know, they're schlock, but now they're fucking great by comparison because nobody knows how to make movies anymore, except perhaps for Tom Cruise, uh, because he really delivered uh, with this film. And, you know, it's something that I've noticed ever since uh, the mummy excluded, you know, the, the, the recent that was supposed to be part of that whole dark universe that WB was doing, excluding that film. Um, and yeah, oblivion wasn't exactly the best, but ever since really mission impossible, the first mission impossible from 96, when uh, Tom Cruise started to take on a producer role, more of a production role overall, uh, you know, more a behind the scenes role. Uh, he has really made sure that the movies he's in, you know, that, that they are, uh, above par, 
Okay, Let, let's say, let's put it that way, that they are at the very least above par, but that their production level is, you know, just, just top notch. Uh, and he really has, I, I feel like you can go see a, a Tom Cruise movie and you're in for entertainment of, you know, at least, uh, if not significantly more. Of course, the Mission Impossible movies, Mission Impossible overall being arguably, in fact, I would say now, considering the shit show that Star Trek has become, um, outside of Babylon 5, which didn't really get the chance to be a full-on franchise, I would argue, you know, with Crusade and whatever else. So I don't know that this, this it would count in this statement. But the statement I will make is that consistently standing the test of time, including everything that has its moniker on it, has its branding on it, Mission Impossible is probably the greatest franchise in history. Um, and in fact, it makes an ass ton of money and probably is, is going to overtake Fast and Furious and James Bond at some point. Um, we did. when we, So, OK, <laughs> I'm saying all of this stuff. All right. First, Larry, let me get this out. Uh, the people who say Tom Cruise is a shitty actor because he always plays Tom Cruise. Fuck you. Because <laughs> so what? Why does that make him a shitty actor? If Tom Cruise is just that cool, he looks that good running and delivers on the excitement and the intensity of what's happening. I don't care if it's Tom Cruise in every fucking film. He's fucking great. Harrison Ford is fucking Harrison Ford in every goddamn movie. So what? I don't hear anybody complaining about that. Okay. So got that out of the way. Um, so what I ended up doing is I, so Ellen and I on the 24th, so that was Tuesday on the 24th, uh, we were able to go to an early, uh, what they called an early event for, uh, for viewing of Top Gun Maverick. This was an official thing, totally sanctioned. I even got an NFT out of it. I, I know I never thought I'd own an NFT. Well, it happened. <laughs> I don't want it. Or I mean, you know what I mean? I didn't ask for it. It just got put in my lap. So we went and saw Top Gun on Tuesday night. It doesn't officially come out until um, May 27th, which would be the day after this ends up airing uh, this episode. And, you know, like, I mean, I was, you know, going for it. I, w I was excited about it for sure. You know, like I'm when when the early event possibility opened up, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. I got to see how this is going, because I've been wanting to see this movie for for a good while. Uh, even though I think I can remember saying when the trailers initially dropped in 2019, I think I can remember saying that I don't even I don't want to go see that. I don't care, you know, and I was definitely in a different headspace at the time. And very here's the thing. At that time, and I can recall that time in 2019, uh, I was very much in the headspace of fuck movie theaters. I'm tired of going to them. I don't care what the fuck's coming out other than maybe fast and furious. I'm not going to go see this stuff. Now I'm at the point where I'm like debating how good fast and furious is going to end up being. Cause we were supposed to get two more movies. We only have one more movie. Justin Lin is left, you know, the director I'm I'm sweating it, but that's besides the point. So, but now, and this doesn't exactly have to do with, with the coof, um, which, Something else publicly, I don't know that that I, I've talked about, but in uh, late April, early May, I had COVID. Um, so well, anyway, like I, I might get into that in, in some other things, but it's certainly, you know, a lot of it's being discussed on Patreon. Um, but it, it's not due to I 
I don't want to say my mindset changed due to, due to COVID, but I have really, you know, like the theater for me is, and you know what? All right, hold on, hold on before I say it. I think what changed my mind is Ellen and I have taken in a lot of movie nights as late while we're getting ready um, to go on our van lifing trip around uh, the United States. And we've been having so many movie nights, you know, and I don't have a gigantic television. It's, it's a 40 inch 1080p, whatever. And I have a sound bar, you know, that's very nice. It's all a gift from Ellen for my birthday last year. Um, but we've been having a lot of movie nights and it does fairly well simulate the theater going experience. At the very least, I have watched a lot of classic films on disc that I only ever watched previously, like on a 24 inch CRT or perhaps, you know, like on a, on a, on a, you know, 17 inch or 15 inch, um, laptop monitor. So it certainly allowed me to see movies, you know, again, that, I'd only been able to experience that way in this, you know, in that way. And it's given me an appreciation because so actually I'm just, I'm thinking of Rennie Harlan's, um, 1993, uh, actually I want to call it an Epic. I think it is, uh, the, the Sylvester Stallone vehicle, that being cliffhanger, um, awesome movie. Now, I've been collecting discs. I mean, off and on, I've been collecting discs my whole life, you know, or at least since I was a teenager, since DVDs were a thing. And even before that, I was collecting VHS. Um, I have a classic picture where you can see my VHS collection when I was 17. I mean, that's how long, you know, how much I've been into cinema. But um, so I so I've been collecting discs for a while, but I didn't have that full setup. You know, the 40 inch screen, the soundbar, all that jazz, whatever. Like I said, until about almost exactly a year ago. Um, before that, Ellen and I would watch things on like this 19 inch, you know, those little like whatever, $180 televisions that you can get from Walmart. Right. Um, and I'd, I'd watch Blu-rays, you know, and DVDs on it. I had, you know, I'd have a Blu-ray player and everything and, and not like a little creative, uh, as in creative sound labs, uh, a little creative, uh, you know, sound system with a little subwoofer and everything. And, and we'd watch that. And it got to the point where, you know, when I finally put in cliffhanger and, you know, I turned and said to Ellen, cause like you're seeing these, these incredible vistas in it, you know, just mountains, you know, and, and valleys and everything. It's, it's so stunning. It's such a huge film. It's just meant to be seen on a big screen, like uh, meant it. It's not something. And, and I mean, before then, the last time I had seen cliffhanger was on a 24 inch uh, glass tube TV. And I said, it's like, oh, we got to do something about this. <laughs> you know, this just isn't working. And that's, you know, when she offered for my, you know, my birthday last year, um, which, by the way, thank you to everybody. If I hadn't said it previously, thank you to everybody for the birthday wishes um, on the 12th of this month. Forty one years old. Woo, here it is. <laughs> Talking about cliffhanger with Stallone still, uh, you know, 20 years, almost 20 years. Well, no, yeah, over 20 years later. Anyway. So uh, that's when I had finally said, like, yeah, that's enough. Like we we. You know, there's just some things that are meant to be seen in the theater. There are things that, no, you cannot just watch them on a laptop screen. They need to be fucking experienced. You need to be surrounded by those mountains. You need that deal. And I think Cliffhanger ultimately, interestingly, is what really flipped the script on me. Like what, no pun intended, what changed my mind about going to movie theaters to see at least some films. 
And so the statement I was just going, I was going to make, and I'll make it now is I have come to realize at the age of 41. I mean, I knew this when I was a teenager too, I suppose, but you know, aside from the gym, my temple <laughs> where I go, <laughs> Uh, effectively to, you know, for church is the movie theater. Like, like that's just, that's church, <laughs> you know, like it, 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 it's because, and, and especially with a movie like Top Gun Maverick where, and, and I'll talk more about this, but the crowd, the audience there was so interactive with the movie. I mean, you had people clapping, laughing with you, everything. I mean, partly because this was a great movie, um, but yeah, it was so awesome, you know, just to, to get that feedback from the audience and everything, uh, you know, and hear that, 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 that was, it was really movie theaters are special places. That's, that's the moral of that story. And I was glad I got to see, um, see Top Gun Maverick, especially, uh, in the movie theater. But to be clear, no, the movie theater does not take the place of the gym, the, the gym that is, that's Holy ground Highlander. So anyway, uh, yeah. So let's talk about Top Gun Maverick. Uh, like I said, this is a sequel that is, you know, some odd 30 years in the making, uh, 36 years to be exact. Now that it finally got released in 2022, it is a movie that got backed up multiple times. Uh, you know, as far as release date, um, I don't, I mean, again, it hasn't officially launched yet, so we don't know the numbers of how it's doing for opening weekend. Uh, critically, you know, critics that have already seen it, say at the Cannes Film Festival and others, uh, it seems to be just just unanimous applause uh, for this movie. And I think it's absolutely well-deserved. Um, I'm not going to go over, there are spoilers in this. I'm not going to go over the entire plot. Um, this movie certainly has much more plot and a more consistent plot than the 1986 style film that is the, it's original, you know, its predecessor uh, has it. Basically, like, I mean, how I, the simplest way I could say this review is that it does everything better than the first film, except for the soundtrack. I want to talk about, we'll get into some of the negatives later, but let's talk about the positives. Okay. Um, the positives here are, I mean, they're using real F-18s. Um, I'm sure there was plenty of CGI in it, including with, uh, I mean, like the, the movie opens up with this awesome sequence, uh, of Pete Mitchell, you know, uh, 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 Tom Cruise's character, right? Maverick who, you know, call sign Maverick. Uh, he is engaging in a, t a test flight to get a, it's, uh, uh, you know, fight, well, I wouldn't call it a fighter craft, but to get a jet. Okay. Uh, to go to Mach nine, um, and he, you know, him being Maverick ends up pushing it a bit further. Uh, it is, you know, some people talked about how like Ed Harris is in this movie. He is only in the very beginning and he is only in the sequence with the dark star, uh, that it, it's a cool sequence. It's a great way to open the movie. Um, there's moments within it that, that, that are very funny. The whole movie actually has genuinely funny moments. It's not stupid Marvel humor. Um, this is by no means a Marvel movie at all, which is partly what makes it so great. Um, it, the humor just works. It lands. It's, it feels organic, which is what humor should do. It shouldn't feel forced. Uh, and yeah, it, without it being parody and, and it's just there and, and, and it delivers. Um, so very exciting opening sequence. 
And it does give us an update on what has happened in the past 30 some odd years with the character of Pete Mitchell with the, you know, with the character of, of Maverick. And, you know, from there, the movie goes on to give you good reasons as to why Maverick is going back to top gun school. Uh, in this case, he's going as a teacher and so on. Um, yeah. So this movie, uh, the script I think is, is right on. There's something I'll talk about it in the negatives. There's something they do a little too much of. I'll get to that. But the script overall is right on the actors. Phenomenal. Jennifer Connelly being added to the, to the cast, um, as Penny. In fact, uh, they don't really say this in the film, but when I was going through the Wikipedia page after seeing the movie, because after I found out the movie, you know, after seeing it and going, holy shit, this movie was awesome. I wanted to know more about it. Um, but the character of Penny played by Jennifer Connelly, she is actually the Admiral's daughter that is being referenced multiple times in the first Top Gun film. So that works for me. Uh, Cynthia McGillis's character is nowhere to be seen in this, nowhere to even be heard of. I don't re necessarily have a problem with that, though when we get into a negative later, it does seem kind of odd. Um, so, you know, you are having this attachment with the, you know, you're getting very early attachments with the previous film, even within the characters themselves. But regardless, the actors, that's what we're talking about. Um, Ed Harris, again, is in the movie for barely 10 minutes. Um, he does what Ed Harris does. I've got nothing negative to say about it. Um, John Hamm is in this and he does an excellent job of basically replacing. There's actually multiple characters that do this basically replacing Iceman. Now Val Kilmer is in this movie, um, but he's also not in it for long. Iceman is constantly referenced. Um, you don't get to see him for much and he doesn't talk much. Val Kilmer, as I understand it in the past, especially in the past few years, um, has not been in good health. Uh, and you can really tell in this movie, they, you know, they played on that. Um, it's fine. It works. He's in it. It actually allows for an incredibly funny moment within the film. Um, also, uh, spoiler alerts again, you know, um, Iceman dies. Uh, and you know, it, it, it allows the movie to play off of a lot of similar beats to the first movie, you know, where you have a tragic death of a friend of Maverick. And that's exactly what happens with Iceman um, in this case. But they set it up really, really well. Like it definitely works. Um, other actors involved. Uh, a lot of the younger actors do, you know, they, they do their job. I'm not going to say that they're necessarily great. Um, like the, uh, the actor, I can't think of his last name, Miles, whatever he's playing. Um, he's playing the, the son of goose of the character goose from the first film. And, you know, they, they did with the mustache and everything and the sunglasses, they make him look kind of like goose. And, you know, again, he does the job. It works. Yeah. Uh, Miles Teller, he the only thing I really knew him from, I know he was in the Divergent movies, which I did watch those, even though they never finished the series. But anyway, um, yeah, you know, he, he does the job. So all the actors are totally on point. Tom Cruise. Is he Tom Cruise? Yes. Is that a problem? No, because he's fucking great at what he does. Get over it. Um, yeah, I, I, I he, he was he looked great. 
Uh, I mean, the guy is certainly aging. You can see that, you know, for a while. I think a lot of us were thinking that Tom Cruise is like John Bon Jovi, where it's like, holy shit, is this guy the ageless wonder? What's the deal here? Does he ever get old? Well, he's getting old. And and it, and it works in this movie, and he plays with it. Um, doesn't spend too much time when they're playing a little football on the beach. Doesn't spend too much time shirtless, but whatever. He looked okay. <laughs> uh, but he, you know, it's Tom Cruise. He's, again, like I was saying earlier, ever since he's taken over production roles, um, you know, he really like he makes sure that either the movie is playing to his strengths or that the movie is delivering everything that it can. Uh, and certainly this movie, you know, is it catered well to who he is, you know, and and where he's at right now, uh, you know, as far as age and everything else, um, which, by the way, I was going to mention this earlier and I think I got sidetracked on it. We did see for the first time they did an exclusive premiere of the soundtrack for the latest Mission Impossible movie. And that looks fucking brilliant. Um, I didn't expect anything less, but that looks amazing. Um, Tom Cruise is also looking, you know, older in that. Um, but I expect similarly to Top Gun Maverick that it will play to, you know, his strengths as they stand now. Um, so Top Gun Maverick, uh, continuing on with that. Yeah, Tom Cruise is great. Um, let's talk a little bit more about... Well, directing, uh, Joseph Kaczynski was directing. Joseph Kaczynski can generally, you know, will do a great job. Um, He, not uninterestingly, um, and I should have predicted this when I found out that Joseph Kaczynski was directing the movie. Um, So Joseph Kaczynski, he's only done a few movies over the past decade. And I mean, we're talking maybe six films, tops. His directorial debut was 2010's Tron Legacy. The funny thing was, before I really, like, it clicked for me who Joseph Kaczynski was, after seeing this movie, I said this, in fact, I said it in the Patreon Discord channel for Sovereign Tech. I said to everybody there, I was like, this is the best sequel I've seen since Tron Legacy. Um, and so it's so fascinating. Like, I wonder if Tom Cruise said, okay, we got to get the guy who can actually faithfully with fidelity bring a movie back after decades from since the first movie came out because that's exactly what joseph kaczynski did with tron legacy tron legacy is a 10 out of 10 movie you know like it it is in my opinion if not the perfect sequel it's especially over 20 years i mean you could argue terminator 2 is the perfect sequel um or empire strikes back, but those all came, you know, just a few years after. But when you're talking 20 plus years that you've got to do a sequel and follow up, not a remake, but actually follow up from the events that happened in the previous film. Um, Joseph Kaczynski seems to be the guy because he's two for two on that. He knocked it out of the park with Tron legacy. And I mean, grand slam with top gun Maverick. So fantastic direction here. Again, all the actors were delivering. There was, you know, no problems whatsoever. Uh, you know, on, on a production uh, level, the screenplay was was right on. You know, the script worked. Um, the story overall worked. I didn't really feel like there were any inconsistencies that 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 stood out. It was weird again to not get mention of what happened to Cynthia McGillis's character uh, from the first film, but that's fine. Uh, so let's move on to another subject. Another subject being, uh, well, let's get into special effects. Um, this is a film that did not rely entirely could have easily relied entirely on CGI, but did not do so. They probably learned the lesson from uh, the movie stealth with Jamie Foxx. 
there, there were real F-18s in there. In fact, Tom Cruise opens up the movie, the, the early event version anyway, and, you know, says, you know, says to everybody, he's like, hope you have a great time. The F-18s are real, you know, like, I mean, he was on it. Uh, special effects, I thought, were were fantastic, you know, overall. Uh, and if a lot of that was real, that's amazing. Um, they did test out some new camera technology that allowed more, I get at least, I guess at least more easily allowed for filming of the actors in an actual cockpit, in an actual jet going mock, whatever. So that those cameras, in fact, you can look them up. Uh, I'm sure there's some kind of making specials on YouTube or something. Uh, they're stunning. I, I mean, like that, that is some really wild technology to implement for a film. And I'm not surprised because Joseph Kaczynski, you know, with Tron legacy was also test betting some fairly new technology in Tron legacy. Uh, so this guy likes to break new ground technologically and I'm glad he was there for this one because he did the same damn thing. Uh, yeah, everything looks legit. If there is CGI, you never, you never notice it, you know, and, and that's not necessarily a bold statement in 2022, you know, CGI has just gotten to that point, but like, really, you never, you can never tell if there is CGI, you just never know. Um, it's it's impressive so special effects were perfect the cinematography was right on um i even liked i felt like there were a lot of uh nice little leads into where like there's moments in the script that uh get payoff you know and they're set up earlier in the movie in such a way that they don't come out of nowhere uh, that is a major failing really throughout cinematic history, but especially in modern film, a major failing is like some MacGuffin, some new ability will just, or, or new or some object or something will just come out of nowhere and it saves the day or whatever, you know, nothing like that in this movie. Everything has, you know, has a, a, a tee off as it were, uh, before it gets to the payoff later on in the film, but there's even little touches. Like I got one of the best things in the movie and this you, you've got to I don't know. I don't know if you've got to be someone like me who appreciates this sort of shit. Um, but one of the, to me, spoiler alert here, especially to me, one of the best things to happen in the movie is at the end. And this is the thing they set it up. So like part of the plot is they have to go, you know, uh, Maverick has to teach these kids, quote unquote kids, younger people in the military, has to teach them how to, uh, you know, like how to fly through this canyon. And it's almost like a Death Star trench run, frankly, um, and destroy uh, like a, a nuclear power plant or a uranium enrichment site or whatever it was. And, you know, and, and, and blow that up. OK, and when they're talking about the mission, they're saying at the beginning, like John Hamm's character, the, the couple admirals that Maverick's dealing with for the Navy is saying, OK, this is what they're going to be loaded out with. They have these Gen 5 uh, uh, fighter jets that are actually more advanced than we are. There's something to talk about that. Uh, and I want to put a pin on that point and I'll get into it. Um, he says, but they also have, you know, other other uh, fighter jets. They even have some old F-14s. And it makes for a funny comment because the F-14 was the main fighter jet 
of the first film. And it allows John Hamm to say, it's like some things just don't die, do they? And it, it allows him to get a jab in at Maverick talking about how old F-14s are. So it fits perfectly in what's happening. You don't expect, you don't anticipate that that's some kind of tee off. You don't expect that that's going to have some kind of payoff later in the film, but it does because there's a point where Maverick has to escape from this area and him and uh, uh, Goose's son, Rooster is his call sign. They end up stealing an F-14 and he has to fly it. And for me, that was, I mean, that was icing on the cake. That deserves a full point out of 10. Like if this movie was eight out of 10, having that F-14 come back and getting to fly it and seeing it kick ass in action, added on and turns it into a nine out of 10. Like that adds on the point because it's that cool of a moment. And they set it up and did it so believably and so well, it wasn't just nostalgia. Sure. It's there for nostalgia, but it wasn't just that it made sense. And here's where the cinematography comes in and the design of the movie comes in. So much like the first top gun, this movie does not really tell you who the enemy is. Like it's just guys in like black uniforms or whatever. You never even like really see their faces to tell like, are they Chinese, you know, or, you know, is it some European or Russia? You know, like what, what is it? You don't know. And that's exactly how it was in the first movie with the MIG, right? Even though MIG is a Russian fighter more or less. Um, and I'm fine with that. Like, I, I, I think that that works. So, but you do see, eventually you get a close up look at their symbol, especially on the F-14 and the symbol for whoever this, army or, you know, whoever this, 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 uh, uh, enemy military force is, is a red Phoenix in a yellow halo, or it's, it's a red bird anyway. But when you see it on the F 14 and it's really prominent, the camera very clearly shows it for the first time in the movie, it's a Phoenix. And so like the F 14 and Maverick getting into the F 14 and escaping and everything, it's a Phoenix rising from the ashes. That's a great little cinematic uh, a theme or meme to put in uh, to the film that I thought, I mean, is just like, honestly, that's an intellectual level above that this movie needed to be, but it's there for you. If you're looking for it, if you're, if you recognize it, uh, I, I, I thought that was genius. Again, that kind of attention to detail was not needed at all, but Joseph Kaczynski delivered on that. Um, and then, and, and I mean, it, it played beautifully and that whole sequence with the F 14 is fucking awesome. Uh, but anyway, Speaking of the action overall, uh, incredibly exciting. Everything going on in this movie is incredibly exciting. The action is what made the first movie, aside from its music video-esque styling, uh, the action of the first movie is what really put it over the top. Uh, because, man, when that action's happening, there's just there at the time, there was nothing else like it. And in fact, really, even afterwards, there was very little else like it because most of it was CGI and you just didn't feel it. But with this movie, again... Most of the F-18s, at least, are real. This action's happening, and boy, do you feel it. Now, I did experience it in RPX for Regal, which is kind of like their like half-breed or their hybrid IMAX. Uh, so certainly that added to the flavor of it. But, man, I mean, like just watching what's happening on the screen is so fucking intense and so real. Uh, you, you notice, you know, and it, and it works, and it works really well. And the beauty in all of that, just like with the first Top Gun, is that the humor lands so well, you know, <laughs> like, like inverted, given, you know, given the MIG, the bird, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just it's there. So all in all, 
this is this is a perfect movie um, and you get plenty of character exploration, which the, you could argue the first one didn't have a whole lot of. Um, but you do get a lot of character exploration in this, uh, which I thought was great. And and it's simple stuff, but that's all that you need. You don't have to. I mean, in many ways, you're dealing with some tropes here, but you don't have to have like really complex origin stories. Right. Or backgrounds or anything like that. Uh, they just kind of run with it. Like, I don't mind. Like, it would have been cool to at least get s- something more explicit to say that Jennifer Connelly is playing the Admiral's daughter referenced throughout the first film. But at the same time, I don't mind it. Those who want to know will find out, you know, but it just it's there and it works and it's enough. Um, they didn't spend a whole ton of time on the love story either, which, which I think was good because that kind of floundered in the first film, uh, in my opinion. So even though that's what a lot of people really remember it for. Um, so now let's, so there's all a lot of the positives of the movie. Again, it's almost a perfect movie, but let's talk about why it's not a perfect film. Um, and part of the reason it's not a perfect film isn't necessarily intrinsic. It's more that it's in comparison to its predecessor. So the first thing, okay, the half, if, if I were to take off a half star, but I'm not going to, if I were to or take a half point, if I were to take away a half point, it would be because this movie spends just a little too much, just a little over, you know, just, just a little too much. It spends a little too much time with nostalgia. Like they just go back to goose and talking about goose way too much. Like they didn't need to do that. Hit the notes, tell us about it. But I mean, they spend a lot of time around it and it's just not necessary. Um, like just experiencing the relationship between Maverick and goose through goose's son rooster would have been enough. Um, they really hit you over the head with it. Okay. Uh, and not only that, this is, this is definitely a movie that like, if I were to compare it to any other film, the movie I would compare it to is the force awakens. Why am I comparing it to the force awakens? Because Joseph Kaczynski really did hear what JJ Abrams did with the force awakens, where he, where he essentially, uh, remade or kind of copied the beats, um, of, you know, a new hope of the original star Wars movie. This sort of happens. There's plenty of very similar beats, even though there is a more complex plot. Um, there is a full plot. There's a lot more that goes on. There's actually character development. It does everything, almost everything better than the first film did. Um, it definitely still hits a lot of those beats song in the bar, you know, a lot, a lot of these different things that people would remember. And I kind of understand why they do this, you know, uh, there's the familiarity thing. There's, you know, that Hollywood thinks everybody's stupid and they do, uh, you know, they think everybody's stupid. So they have to remind you of these things or whatever while playing off of your nostalgia at the same time. Um, but I'll say that just as much as I didn't mind it in the force awakens and to this day, I still don't mind it, even though fuck eight and nine, <laughs> um, you know, the force awakens, I still think is an enjoyable film. Um, uh, just like Top Gun Maverick, I think is a fantastic film even though it does again, it just about gets out of the point of good taste with nostalgia. It's that close, but it, it, it still has enough fresh and new and intense that, you know, you, you kind of, you deal with it, you accept it, 
if Cynthia McGillis's character was discussed in it and in it, maybe that would have put it too much over. Maybe Tom Cruise realized that. And so they scrapped like really any mention of her. Uh, I'm open to that, that that's, that's how that ended up happening. Um, so that's, that's like a half point that I would take off. The thing I will take a full point off for this movie is the soundtrack. Now is the soundtrack bad? No, you have, uh, Harold Faltemeyer's themes returning. You have Hans Zimmer doing the score proper as well as Lauren Belf, uh, who has done Lauren Belf has done tremendous work with Tom Cruise in the past, including on the mission impossible movies. Um, and you have Lady Gaga doing a doing like the love theme, you know, kind of the, what's comparable to uh, perhaps to what Berlin did with Take My Breath Away. Now, Lady Gaga's song in it is nowhere near as good. In fact, I don't even know if it's I wouldn't even argue that it's a good song, um, but it's and, and I don't have a problem with Lady Gaga like it's musically anyway. Um, I, I enjoy a lot of her music, but this song just did not do it. Um and and I have a hard time believing that it's going to, uh, you know, push CD sales as it were, even though we don't really deal in CD sales anymore, do we? Um, I, I just can't picture that. It, it, it's just, it's really not enough. The movie does open up exactly, almost exactly, uh, like the first film where, you know, aircraft carrier danger zone playing and they do play danger zone in, in top gun two. Like <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I was like, really, you are going to open the movie with, with danger zone again. Um, which I guess is making it like the unofficial top gun theme, which I suppose is fine. I just thought that was kind of a, I wouldn't have gone that route, but okay. You know, I guess it's like opening up star Wars movies with the star Wars theme. You just do it. Um, so that was there. But that's the thing. And and there were some other songs, some other like classic hit kind of songs, you know, like songs from the 70s or 60s or whatever. But as much as the original Top Gun soundtrack, you know, appealed to the past, right? You know, with uh what was that the Righteous Brothers or whatever. Um they still like sonically it still innovated, both with Harold Faltemeyer's score as well as um, like again, cheap tricks, mighty wings, um, Berlin's take my breath away, Kenny Loggins, danger zone and playing with the boys. As I mentioned earlier, all those songs were frankly, every one of them is a hit and a good one, a damn good one. Um, you don't get that in this movie and it's really missing something because of that. Not only that Hans Zimmer seems to be really playing it cool with some great themes uh, by Harold Faltemeyer and playing it cool to its detriment to where you're not, I mean, you get some highs, some nice orchestral highs with the Top Gun Anthem, but you don't really get it throughout the film there. You just, there's a cool factor that existed in the first movie. That's not here. And it's not in Top Gun Maverick entirely because the soundtrack is just lackluster, but to be clear, it's lackluster in comparison to the, phenomenal soundtrack of the first movie. And again, I would argue, as I said at the beginning of this episode, the soundtrack for Top Gun is, you know, like it made the movie. Okay. In some ways it's even better than the movie. And so it was disappointing to not have a phenomenal for them to not take the risk and have a phenomenal soundtrack in this film. Um, it was played. I thought it was played very safe and that's a pity. 
you know, because you missed out on that cool factor. But that's the only real negative I can bring up with this movie other than like they almost went too far with the nostalgia. So how am I going to score this film? Well, I kind of already said it. It's a nine out of 10. It should be a 10 out of 10. And all it needed was, you know, again, just a bolder soundtrack. And it could have been there. It could have been. And I mean, believe me, it's hard for me to imagine giving a film that has come out in the past 10 to 15 years, giving any movie that's come out in that time frame a 10 out of 10. But Top Gun Maverick was that close. It really was. Um, I've been a fan of the Top Gun franchise, and it is a franchise, uh, you know, for, well, as long as I can remember, partly due to, you know, I just, I have an obsession with, um, you know, piloting things, <laughs> you know, playing flight simulators and all that stuff. And Top Gun has a tremendous history um, of video games. In fact, I mentioned I'll be doing a sovereign top eight of Top Gun games. And yes, there are more. I think there are actually more than eight games for, uh, within the Top Gun franchise, uh, like Top Gun Fire at Will, one of the best simulators ever made. Um, its sequel, Top Gun Hornet's Nest, was fantastic. Um, yeah, the Nest game was a shit show, but we'll talk about that on that episode. But that's going to be a Patreon only. Um, also, future Sovereign at the Movies are also going to be Patreon only. So if you want to hear those, um, that's where you're going to have to go to get them. Though I do have one more in editing that I might end up putting out publicly, but otherwise those are all going to end up um, in the Patreon feed. So wrapping up all of that said, wrapping up Top Gun, um, one thing that could almost give the point back was like, and, and actually Ellen also gave this movie a nine out of 10. Um, and one of the things she brought up to me was she loved like just how excited and animated the audience was at the film. Like, you know, here we are in New Hampshire, but I mean, so many people showed up for this and I mean, it was a packed house for this early event and these people were laughing again, clapping. I mean, they were just so excited. They loved it. I mean, they even gave a little, little commentary of points. It was, it was really, really fantastic. Uh, it's been a long time outside of a star Wars movie that I've experienced a theater, a theater audience, um, that was just you know, that involved that invested in what was going on in the film. It was really, really cool. Uh, and almost makes me want to call it a 10 out of 10, just because that theater experience was so good. Um, and I really do recommend seeing this movie in theaters. It is one of those movies like cliffhanger where everything is just so huge. Everything that's happening is just massive and playing on really like the cinematography is playing on such large scales. Uh, you know, it works and it's large scale with a point. It's not like, you know, uh, Denise Villeneuve's Dune where it's like, okay, it's big scale because you're just wanting to be big scale. Like, no, this movie demands it as to where I would argue Dune did not. Um, and in fact, I would say that like having a sweeping scale with Dune kind of took away from the personability of it as to where with this, you get all sides, you get like right into the cockpit and then you get the broad action, you know, the wide open skies, uh, that a, you know, say an F-18 Hornet would enjoy. Um, so yeah, this is one to see in theaters, in my opinion. Um, I frankly hope it does very well. It deserves to do really well in theaters. Um, it is a movie to absolutely worth the wait. I could not imagine a Top Gun two, uh, being this good. Like I wanted a Top Gun two. I could not have anticipated it would have been this fantastic of a film, this perfect of a movie. Uh, but you know, we got it in 2022. It was dedicated to Tony Scott. I wish Tony Scott was here to direct it. 
maybe they waited for that. Um, but or, well, okay. So let, let's talk about this for a second. Let's get a little conspiratorial just for a minute while we're wrapping this up. I've made it clear. This movie's a must watch. Uh, I don't find it uninteresting that conversations around making Top Gun 2 did not happen until after Tony Scott, who's the director of the original movie, uh, and really, I think, like Joseph uh, you know, Kaczynski for this movie, um, was integral to that movie's style. Uh, he, so Tony Scott, brother of Ridley Scott, by the way, and director of many other phenomenal films, Crimson Tide and so on, Enemy of the State and so on, um, like he committed suicide in 2012. Uh, I find it interesting that they, that conversations around a top gun two did not pick up again, particularly by Tom Cruise until Tony Scott was gone. Um, I don't know why that is. I just find it kind of odd that that's what happened. I don't know what changed in the military's mind that suddenly they felt like, okay, no, we can make this movie. They certainly did not sexualize this film. If that was the problem, they eliminated that in this movie because, other than like the football scene, which I would not argue was sexy in the slightest. Um, I mean, you do get hints at that. Okay, sure. Jennifer Connelly and Tom Cruise, their characters, you know, made love and whatever in it. But it's it's all fairly clean and tame. And, and that there's nothing wrong with that in this movie. Um, so I don't know if that's what allowed for it. They made sure in the script, okay, this, this should not be sexy or whatever. Uh, because again, it wasn't. Um, not Not in that way anyway. Uh, but I found it interesting that the U S Navy in this film is essentially saying that the enemy with their fifth generation fighters, uh, made it that the, the U S military was no longer the most advanced country in the world. That is a very strange statement to make. And I can't believe the military allowed that to happen. And there's a part of that. That smacks of, for lack of a better term, and you know I hate using this term, but I'll use it, but that smacks of a psyop. That is so strange for them to say uh, that that somehow the U.S. military is not the top of the food chain. Really, I, I thought that was just that was just odd. Um, and and I wonder if there's something within that kind of similar to like Chinese hypersonic missiles that are, you know, decades ahead of anything that the U S is developing and so on. Like there is a message that's been going out there over the past two, three years, which fits in line with the production of this movie that the U S again is not the U S military is not the top of the food chain anymore. And I don't know why they're admitting to that. I mean, we can guess all day long, but like, I don't have any hard evidence as to why uh, other than, I mean, of course you could say, well, it's just true, but but it's a weird thing for them to allow in a movie. It's one thing, okay, the news reports it, sure, because it is what it is, perhaps. But, or it's more, who knows. But, like, to have it in a movie, that was kind of odd. So is this movie a propaganda piece for the U.S. military, similar to perhaps the first film? Uh, yeah, th there's an argument to be made for that. But at the same time, the other thing that's odd in this movie is you really only see the American flag, like, on the back of Jennifer Connelly's sailing boat. That's the only place you ever really see it. And now with Hollywood concentrating so much on foreign markets, you know, on international uh, uh, distribution, that doesn't surprise me, but 
if if they didn't say this was in the United States or, you know, parts of it were in the United States, I would have no idea that they were talking about the U.S. military. This movie could have it could have been about any military. It was almost like an ace, uh, like like an ace combat movie, you know, where ace combat, the video game series where it's all jets and everything and, you know, military conflict. But it's like countries that don't exist on Earth, but they just kind of rename them and everything like it could have fit within that mold. It could have been an ace combat movie, which, boy, I'd love one of those. Um, yeah, very, that that was odd. This was not a rah, rah America uh, film like it was it was almost the opposite which so as far as it being a recruitment movie not exactly you know and now today with the internet like kids they're not going to get fooled kids young people know i can't you know that they not even like one percent of applicants into the u.s military that want to be pilots get to be pilots um and like i, I feel like people know that now you know, as to where in the night in the eighties and nineties, it's like, oh yeah, I'm going to go sign up and be a pilot or whatever. And now people also know that the military will shift their MOS on you as they desire. You know, you might've signed up for such and such a job, but if the military needs you somewhere else, they're not going to have you go and be a pilot helicopter fighter jet or otherwise, if they want you behind a desk or if they want you on the front lines, they'll just shift your MOS and they have, you know, by their contract, every right to do it. Um, but I feel like people know that now. You know, like that's not the, the the mystery around that is is no longer there. So it's hard for me to say that this is exactly a propaganda piece. Again, it's sort of the opposite, which I just, you know, extract from that what you will. Uh, and let me know what you think if you want. Uh, when you go and see the movie, of course, if you're a patron, you can, uh, you know, uh, converse in the discord group. Um, and, you know, there, there are other ways to reach me. So anyway. Uh, that will be it for this Sovereign at the Movies Top Gun Maverick 9 out of 10 almost a 10 out of 10 if they just got that soundtrack right but man it was a great movie go enjoy it I will see all of you on the other side